Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about juvenile justice in Monroe County. Joining me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have one guest with us today, Monroe Circuit Court Judge David Welch. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Judge Welch, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Great. I can't believe this is your first time on this show. First time ever. I've listened many times. I, I don't know how you've dodged the bullet as long as you have. We're glad to have you here. Well, it's tough when you have a famous wife. <laughs> That's right. That's She's right. been on a number of times. She has. Yeah, well, we're glad to have This is a really big issue. It's one that we've been talking about. I just want to read from, uh, you have a proposal, and I want to read from the very first sentence, the objective, because it sort of says it all in, in my mind. It says, after decades of committees, consultants, mm-hmm. studies, and community discussion, we believe the time has come to proceed with the development of a Monroe County Juvenile Justice Center designed to meet the immediate needs of our youth and their families by providing for local continuum of care of youth services for non-specialized services to include secure detention, residential treatment, and group home care. That decades of committees and consultants studies and community discussion. Can you uh, sort of take us back a little bit and talk about the history of this issue? Sure. As you may know, I've, I've kind of inherited this project. Uh, my predecessor, uh, Judge Vitale Ferro, worked long and hard. Mm-hmm. And even before her tenure uh, in the juvenile court, uh, our officials locally have been talking about this challenge and uh, local needs. For, for literally decades. In fact, I've been told that uh, there's a newspaper clipping in the commissioner's, Monroe County Commissioner's Office where this subject matter was addressed. I've forgotten exactly. That. It's either the late 50s or the early 60s <laughs> in a publication formerly known as the Bloomington Herald Telephone. I remember that oh, one. Definitely I've historical. Yeah. So <clears throat> this has been an issue that has been uh, discussed and, and uh, rediscussed uh, for a very long time, and over that period of time, uh, numerous Monroe County elected officials have hired numerous consultants, uh, three during my tenure and at least five that I know of. So it goes way back. Mm-hmm. So what what are the key issues? Why is this issue so important? And why have we been trying to – what are we trying to solve with all these discussions? Well, I think the bottom line is, is our local community needs to address – our juveniles, our our kids, our families, uh, children that grow up in our community need and deserve uh, proper care that that we can give them, uh, and we we want to do that locally because there are real advantages to doing that. It costs money; it's not cheap. Nothing's free, but uh, by keeping our children in our community, we have increased opportunities to treat the entire family. If we spend big dollars on addressing a juvenile's problems, but we ignore that family and eventually that child returns to its family and that family's in Monroe County, those same problems are more likely to reoccur. On the other hand, if we do a better job of treating that entire family, uh, we have more likely uh, a more li- increased likelihood of success. And, and if we treat these problems locally, we have a much easier and better time to involve that entire family because if this child is placed outside of Monroe County, that therapy and rehabilitative services are decreased because they don't have the money oftentimes to, to travel. Mm-hmm. And it just increases the length of stay, increases the costs, and reduces the likelihood of success. So uh, it's an expensive undertaking, but it's, we think our children are worth it. So that's the biggest uh, obstacle or hurdle you have to overcome is the funding, I assume. Yes. Yes. I'm, uh, we've been told that uh, Monroe County government, believe it or not, uh, has been very conservative in its borrowing. In terms of bonding, uh, Monroe County government has been uh, very uh, careful in, in not overextending itself. And, and so the county actually has a very good financial picture in terms of the ability to borrow money to address capital needs. <clears throat> there are limitations for that kind of spending. Mm-hmm. What we don't have is we don't have 
uh, enough revenue to address ongoing problems. And that's just a constant challenge because there are many more needs that Monroe County government has to address than just juvenile services. But those aren't bond issues like, like no, a those capital aren't bond project issues. like this would be. But we have the authority, the financial authority to build what we need. We just don't have the authority to staff it year in and year out mm-hmm. without some sort of new revenue source. Yeah. And I want to talk about that in, in just a minute and, and some of the specifics of the proposal. But we talked before the program about how you know your experiences in, in the juvenile court system will sort of um, intertwine with this pr- project as we, as we discuss it. Um, what kinds of things are you seeing now? And, and when you get a, 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 you know, a young person into your court system that needs some of these services – what happens to them now? Where do you send them? Well, of course, it, each case is handled individually on a case-by-case basis, and, and it's difficult to say that this is typically what happens because problems differ between families and individuals. But <clears throat> the first thing that happens is, is if we have a, a child who bumps into the legal system because they're the police and or the juvenile probation department believe they're a danger to themselves or others – They'll call me and the first step we do is place them in a detention. We don't have a detention center. So we're constantly looking for beds where we can contract with other counties to provide the same services that we're proposing. And then that child has to be transported to either Johnson County, Bartholomew County, um, Does you go as far north as Howard County? Sure, depending on what beds are available. Mm -hmm. So that takes, uh, I assume, a deputy out of the – out of the picture for as long as it takes to get that child. Well, the procedure, the procedure that it's it's really technically not a deputy, but it's a sheriff's department employee that's a transport officer. And the procedure is this: uh, the police run into a child for whatever reason and believe a crime has occurred. They make a reference to the juvenile probation department on duty, and we're on duty twenty four seven. Uh, that situation is explained. If the juvenile probation officer believes that's a problem that needs to be addressed immediately, then they'll call me, and I'm on duty 24-7. And uh, that situation will be described if I concur that this child needs to be detained on an, in terms of an immediate sanction, not something that happens in every case or all the time, but happens – periodically and on a very regular basis, usually unfortunately happens in the middle of the night. So you can say send him home and we'll deal with this on Monday right. if it's right. not serious Usually enough. the kind of calls that really come into me though are, are serious enough um, that demand immediate attention. So then I will call the Monroe County Jail and I will ask the Sheriff's Department to locate a transport officer to transport this child to wherever the juvenile probation officer can find a bed available. Mm-hmm. And usually this happens in the night. Sometimes it happens more than once with different circumstances and incidents. And the jail, who is understaffed, they don't have people sitting around there waiting to hop in a car and drive somewhere. Uh, They'll start calling their list of whoever wants to work overtime. And eventually they'll find somebody and they'll get them out of bed and they'll drive to work to the justice building and they'll fire up the van if it's cold in the wintertime and warm it up and then they'll – drive to wherever this child has been held by the police. That's kind of another issue that we need to talk about because the the police, quite frankly, are interested in doing fighting crime and, and, and providing security to our community. They're not really interested in sitting around watching juveniles waiting for transport officers to pick them up. So um, that may take an hour before that child is picked up. It may take two and a half hours. But eventually that child will be picked up and then they're transported to wherever we can find a bed available. That time that that police officer is tied up with that juvenile is time away from their ongoing responsibilities and duties. Mm -hmm. And uh, the juvenile probation officer is sometimes looked to, why why can't they watch these children? Because they don't have police powers. If that child runs off, there's nothing that juvenile probation officer can do. That that requires a, a police power, someone with police power. So um, that's a lengthy process Mm -hmm. that ties up the sheriff's department in terms of staffing, costs a lot of money, costs a lot of transport. We don't know exactly what that costs in terms of uh, transportation expenses and staffing, but we we know it's inefficient. And it also ties up the police. And then the the young person is put in a facility in Bartholomew County, Johnson County, Howard County, wherever – 
we do know how much that costs roughly per day. Right. At a minimum, that costs $100 per day. Quite frankly, uh, this is the most controversial part of the proposal. That is, the, you know, the judges want to build a kitty jail. This is not a kitty jail. This is a safe, secure location for a juvenile to be held pending uh, a court appearance. And in fact, legally, they're not there for a long period of time. They have to be in court within 48 hours, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absent legal holidays or weekends. So, so somebody has to go back and pick yeah, them up. So then they go back <laughs> and pick them up. Um, and then we have an initial hearing. If, we f- if I find probable cause and approve a charge to be uh, filed by the prosecutor within 7 to 10 days, and that child is then returned again, unless I send them home and th- after that first court appearance. And usually we don't know all the facts within 48 hours. So uh, more often than not, I'm going to keep that child in a secure location until we know the entire situation to make sure they're not a danger to themselves or to others in the community. Well, as you said, uh, Judge, you don't know exactly what the costs are because you've got police officers who are sitting around. I mean, there are a lot of sort of um, indirect costs. Um, But do you have an estimate for what the direct cost of the county is to send kids away? Yes. um, We spend about $300,000 per year only talking about secure detention, which is uh, located out of county in terms of per diem costs only, not the, not the transportation costs, the wear and tear in vehicles or gasoline or, or staffing <clears throat> by the, the police and or sheriff personnel involved. Okay. 855-0811-877-285-9348 in noonatindiana.edu. Our guest today is um, Judge David Welch, who has a proposal uh, for providing juvenile uh, services, juvenile justice services uh, here in Monroe County. Okay. Let's get back to the funding on this because based on what you just said, if you can uh, definitely say that it's $300,000 a year, not including transportation costs, it seems like a fairly easy case to make that then you could transfer those costs over to the cost of running this center that you could build um, based on uh, bond funds. Yeah. It's, it's kind of complicated. It's a little more complicated than that. But uh, basically, the bonding would provide facilities. They'd provide the hard right. hardware and the and the capital costs for a building. The ongoing staffing expenses in this proposal <clears throat> for a 16 bed facility, which we can talk about the size, is really a million four. A million four. That's a lot more and than three hundred thousand. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's fair to say you could subtract that three hundred thousand mm-hmm. we now spend uh, out of county from the million four, and it gets us down to a million one. But but uh, the public is going to say, well, wait a minute, what kind of deal is that? Um, if we're only spending 300000 now, why should we spend a million one? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a fair question. Here's, here's another aspect that I, I want uh, the public to consider. Um, and that is the police, I think, do their job and do it well. But they have discretion when they come across a situation and that's a legal – there's nothing new or, or dangerous or, or bad about that. But they have the, the right to exercise discretion. So if you were a police officer and you came across a juvenile in the middle of the night um, and you knew that if you called the juvenile probation officer because you thought this was serious enough and you knew that they, if they called the judge and the judge called the jail and you'd be tied up for an hour to two hours or longer um, – which would keep you off the street from what you normally do, fighting crime and looking for things that shouldn't happen, would you do that or would you just say, i tell you what, let's just send this child home. I'm going to drive you home and I don't ever want to see you do this again, period. What's the message to that child? Is that child really going to get that message? Or let's say it's more serious. They, I'm going to call your parents. I'm going to make them come down to the police station and pick you up. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. I'm not criticizing that. But when that child goes home and there's not a referral made to the juvenile court, that's a mistreatment opportunity. And there is no way to place a value on that. That's a child who shouldn't be out in the middle of the night usually or these things happen during the day as well, shouldn't be doing whatever they're doing. And that's either a lack of supervision or or poor values or other problems that – Perhaps maybe are not the family's fault or maybe not the child's fault, Something that somebody that needs help though. Mm-hmm. And without that referral, that's a mistreatment opportunity. And those treatment opportunities are not going to just go away. They're going to repeat themselves until it becomes serious enough 
that they end up probably in the juvenile court or eventually they're going to end up in the adult court. They're going to end up in the overcrowded jail that's right there. So those, those problems, if they're not addressed, can have an impact on other family members. Perhaps that child has siblings uh, or the, perhaps the parents. And quite frankly, the problems that we're talking about are not usually the children's fault. They're the parents' fault. They're the parents who who are not on top of their game in terms of raising children in our community. I mean, I'm not. I'm trying to think, figure a nice way to say it, but but those are problems that need to be addressed, and that's the authority that the juvenile court has, which the adult court does not have. I think one of the things that you're kind of struggling with to try to to uh, uh, not sound like you're coming down too hard on any particular group here is that the problems are so multiple. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, could layered. be poor, could, yeah, layered. Yeah. It could be poor parenting. It could be some mental health issues going on with the kid. It could be you know any num- poor uh, you know peer pressure kinds of things. I mean any number of things that you're trying to deal with. But um, back to what you were talking about, I know you can't really put a dollar figure on it. But I think you, what you were what you were referring to is the cost to society if you don't have an intervention really early on. And so when when police officers make the discretionary move, which is probably, you know, they have to make a judgment. Mm -hmm. Is is it more important for me to sit with this kid or can I just send him home tonight because I've got bigger fish to fry? Right. And you've got other officers out there who could use help and you'd feel a responsibility, I'm sure, to be out there assisting your other officers. So the the question is, is this a one-time incident that will never happen again? Maybe it is. In which case, that's not a poor decision and it would be cheaper to spend 300000 a year out of county. But if that child is, is a child who's probably going to repeat that behavior because it was unaddressed or has other problems at home or personal problems that need attention and rehabilitation and services, is it going to repeat itself? Probably. Mm-hmm. And when it does, it's eventually going to cost a lot more accumulative than a, a million one. Yeah, this is one of those pay me now or pay me later That's situations. Exactly what this is. That's exactly. And those are hard for people to get motivated to do something about. But that having been said, you know, we have been talking about this for umpteen years. And, you know, I'm sold as a citizen. I'm like, let's deal with this already. Let's do this. The, the case has been made, in my opinion. So what needs to happen to move this forward? Because it really has kind of been talked to death, in my opinion. <laughs> it has. I, I guess I sound crabby. But, I mean, really, we have been talking about this for a really long time. You know, I have a, a notebook uh, in my office <clears throat> where my staff was kind enough to um, punch up on the HT internet site mm-hmm. all of those related stories to juvenile, which I think you began doing in about 1994, 95, as I recall. Well, uh, you know, our archives go back to 1988, so I, I think you may have stories. Maybe back, even back earlier. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I have about a four-inch thick notebook full of these stories that have just been where we've talked about this and discussed it to death. And they're limited by the technology because we don't have them online for right. earlier than that. Yeah, and they're even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what needs to be done? Well, I think, I think there needs to be a proposal on the table, which we now have from the Juvenile Justice Task Force. I think we need to find a new revenue stream, and I have been uh, very candid about – this subject matter in every forum that I have spoken. And that is, it's pretty to say a new revenue stream, but folks, what that means is a tax increase. Uh, Monroe County government does not have the existing money to finance the staffing for this kind of facility. And uh, we're either going to have a new revenue stream or we're not. And if we do, then it becomes a local decision that our elected officials can decide, do we want to build a facility, what kind of facility, what kind of staffing, what kind of services. Uh, If there's a proposal on the table and if the Indiana General Assembly grants uh, our county the authority to generate a new revenue stream, then then we're in a position for our community to make a decision. Unfortunately, we just haven't got that far in these last few decades. So have has this gone before the General Assembly as an option yet to approve or disapprove? Yes. Uh, the Juvenile Justice Task Force uh, asked our local delegation to introduce legislation and Matt Pierce was kind enough to introduce two bills, one of which uh, would increase the local option income tax by one quarter of one percent dedicated to juvenile facilities. And the other is, because this is a common need across the state, 
was a bill to allow all counties that same identical authority for a little broader purpose than just a juvenile detention – funding a – staffing a juvenile detention center. Uh, unfortunately, neither one of those bills got a hearing. But um, the House Ways and Means Committee, upon which Peggy serves, my wife Peggy Wolf serves, um, did hear a proposal which was quite frankly uh, tendered by the uh, slight Democratic majority in the Indiana House uh, to allow counties to do more than what Matt Pierce's bills address because this is a common need for communities across the state. And there are other interests that need to be addressed as well. And one of them is property tax reduction. So this proposal uh, was to allow counties to increase their local option income taxes more than one quarter of a cent, but up to one percent. However, 60 percent of that revenue, whatever it would be on a county-by-county basis, had to be dedicated to property tax reduction so that some of those taxes would go down. That remaining balance of 40 percent of those proceeds from that new tax could be applied to local community projects. Uh, It was limited to public safety, correct, in uh, some way? uh, I think it was a little – some way, yeah. yeah. Broader than the the juvenile facility, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that bill uh, did not pass by a constitutional majority and at the moment is deceased. (laughs) But nothing's ever really dead. No, not in our general assembly. (laughs) That's that's exactly true. Nothing's over until it's over. So uh, in in fact, quite frankly – I think the first half – there's an article in the the Indianapolis Star this morning by their columnist whose name escapes me uh, who who talked about uh, Representative Bruce Borders and um, the bottom line is according to that columnist uh, that really the first half of our Indiana General Assembly session is really more positioning and show where the – both parties – uh, sometimes share common interests, sometimes have very fundamentally different philosophical approaches to common problems, kind of position against each other to try and uh, gain an upper hand politically in one way or another. Is that a bad thing? Not really. Uh, I don't think. I think that's kind of what the Founding Fathers uh, designed and we have a, a wonderful republic that we're fortunate enough to be blessed to live in. But there comes a point in time where certain problems need to be addressed and the latter part of this session is where some of those compromises when it really gets down to brass tacks can be made and I'm, I remain cautiously hopeful. Uh, I certainly don't uh, – Can this resurrect in any form in the Senate? Somehow it can although I'm not sure I could really explain to you how. I mean uh, Luke Kinley is, is the chairman of the finance committee in the Senate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, Dem- the Republicans, quite frankly, share the identical interest that the Democratic Party does in reducing property taxes. I mean that's not, a, that's not an issue that uh, one side or the other doesn't favor. They're both for it. The question is who can get the most credit for it? So I think he's going to do something on his side. Exactly what? I'm not prepared to say. But I, I would encourage anyone listening to uh, approach our Senate delegation – Namely, uh, State Senator Vice Simpson, Brent Steele, and Richard Bray to um, let them know of Monroe County's interest in finally addressing this decades-old problem and that we need a little uh, – it's not a tax increase. We're not asking any of these legislators to sponsor a tax increase. We are asking them to give us the local power and authority to make that decision ourselves through our elected local officials. And then that would go to our county council? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, let me give the phone numbers again. We've hit halftime. So the phone numbers are 855 and noon at edu. We're talking with uh, Monroe Circuit Court Judge David Welch, and you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, 
classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for the Big Brothers Big Sisters of South Central Indiana's 2007 Edward Jones Bowl for Kids' Sake, the agency's largest fundraiser. It wraps up this weekend at Suburban Bowling Lanes. More information about 2007 Edward Jones Bowl for Kids' Sake, available at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and our guest today, Monroe Circuit Court Judge David Welch. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We've been talking a lot about funding for your proposal for this Juvenile Justice Center uh, in but we haven't really talked exactly about exactly what this center would be. So give us sort of uh, – you know, give us a tour. Walk us around this place. Well, the proposal that was unanimously endorsed by the Monroe County Juvenile Justice Task Force as well as the Monroe County Board of Judges, I believe you had uh, our sheriff, Jim Kennedy, on recently who, mm-hmm. who has spoken in favor of it. And quite frankly, uh, hot off the presses this past week, the Bloomington Chamber of Commerce passed a resolution in support as well. Uh, addresses the following terms of uh, this proposal. It's a – in terms of facilities, it's a single-story, 16 to 18-bed secure detention facility with an attached juvenile court with space for related staff as well as those not-for-profit agencies that conduct ongoing business with our juvenile court in terms of providing space for the sake of efficiency as well as building a modern state-of-the-art 12-bed group home for young women all located on the Thompson property. In terms of staffing to that 18-bed detention center would require, as I've referenced earlier, $1,456,000 or if we chose to roll into it the existing youth shelter, Monroe County Youth Shelter, which now has an annual budget of $500,000. Uh, for adding three hundred thousand to that a million four, which gets us a uh, million or four, gets us up to a million eight hundred ninety-seven thousand, a savings of about three hundred thousand. Although we would abandon that independent uh, structure as well as as that facility, uh, we could we could staff that for uh, that million eight hundred ninety-seven thousand. We're proposing that this be funded by the local. Uh, COET tax, the local option income tax. Um, the county commissioners hired a consultant which estimated that uh, a quarter of a percent income tax for Monroe County citizens would cost Monroe County taxpayers a, a range. And if someone makes uh, $10,000 per year, that would cost them an increased tax of $10 per year. If someone makes $100,000 per year, it would entail an increased uh, tax bill of $235 per year. Obviously, the, most citizens are within that range, so it, it would vary uh, between those between $10 and $235 per year. But anyway, that would provide us the income we need to develop the Thompson property, which is a, an asset that the county already owns and has been paid for, was purchased for this very purpose but has been sitting – idled for the last four or five years. And this is just south of the old Thompson plant of Cook Pharmaca. Exactly. Mm. It's also adjacent to the Thompson City Park, which fits in nicely with a a juvenile campus. Mm -hmm. So in that scenario, if funding uh, would come to pass in a few years down the road, we have this facility. So someone who comes through or you get that call late at night. And then that particular juvenile is taken directly to that center. And then once he or she is booked in, what what happens then? Well, then we have a chance to assess that child immediately rather than relying on some other county's employees to do that. Uh, that facility is located adjacent to the court so that we avoid the sheriff having to transport. And one of the key proposals that I've kind of referenced but haven't really spelled out is that I think our referrals to the juvenile court 
would increase dramatically. Uh, I think if the police had a place to take this child rather than choose those other two options of scolding them or calling their parents, would in fact take that child directly to the local detention center and that would result instead of a mistreatment opportunity, an opportunity to treat that child and and any members of their family that, that needed it, mm-hmm. all in accordance with applicable Indiana law. So I, I think that's a, uh, an important part of it. Another, another aspect of this proposal that we haven't talked about is that goal of providing the continuum of care as comprehensively as possible on a local basis. Mm-hmm. This proposal does not address every child's problem. There are children that have severe psychiatric problems. There are children that have severe sexual problems or have been abused or neglected. And uh, those children still require extra special and much more expensive than $100 per day. I mean, Monroe County taxpayers are now paying, for some facilities, we pay as much as $400 per day for specialized treatments. This proposal does not suggest we provide those services locally. I think that would be truly exorbitant. But the goal is to provide as many services as possible. One of the latest uh, studies, uh, which was uh, conducted by a national expert named Bobby Husky, uh, which was done before I took the juvenile bench, uh, laid out three options, and it provided a, a great deal of services on this local uh, level. And I'm, I support that completely. I just didn't think after talking with our community and elected officials, I could get that proposal through. So we went back to the drawing board and have tried to create a new paradigm to provide those identical services by using existing resources in our community, including addressing the private sector and mm-hmm. kind of what we call the semi-private sector, namely the Center for Behavioral Health. They have staff, existing staff, expertise in, in treating these kinds of children. So let's build that group home, which they do not have, and let's utilize this identical per diem costs, which we run through our Department of Child Services budget currently, instead of spending those same dollars out of county, spend them locally. By treating this child locally, we hope to reduce the treatment period, which would shorten that period of time, reduce that cost, as well as treat their entire family much more comprehensively. So the key point is to provide as many of these common services in terms of rehabilitation services on a local basis. So we have the secure detention sanction, which we do not have currently available in our community, which for reasons we've discussed, I I think is misunderstood, but most important. We have house arrest, which we utilize currently. Uh, We've talked about a new group home, which would, would, uh, based on our current caseload, we estimate would treat 9 to 12 girls. We we provide that same service out of county now. Mm -hmm. And why girls, Judge? Well, these services, that's just the current caseload that we think we could address on an immediate basis. We don't want to overbuild. We don't want to, we don't want to have to staff as, as much as was proposed in the Husky report. I mean, we, we like those services. If we had the money, I'd definitely like to do it. There are counties in Indiana that have done it and that have the resources to do it. I just don't think Monroe County is one of them. Um, so we've tried to look at where we can cut costs in terms of staffing but utilize existing services within our community. And another way to do that is – and I'll get back to the question about the girls <laughs> is, um, is, is a, an, another part of this continuum of care is utilizing Meadows Hospital, which treat juvenile, which is a staff secure facility, which primarily would be for boys. So that's why I'm leading up to this answer. Why boys and girls? Because our current caseload, we think we could immediately fill 9 to 12 beds for girls who – who I guess I guess need less secure at the at the moment in terms of our current caseload. We have girls that that need a secure environment, but uh, they may need transitional living, learning those skills, how to how to conduct themselves in a in a normal fashion that can function appropriately in our community. And we have <clears throat> what we estimate uh, nine to nine to twelve young men to be treated at Meadows. And uh, one of the common questions I've asked, why don't we do that now? Well, we are doing that now. Um, The goal, however, is to provide that entire continuum of care, the other portions of which we don't have available. And the goal is to expend existing Department of Child Services uh, dollars, which are currently uh, appropriated by the Monroe County Council, instead of 
out of county, in county. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not always the quickest on the uptake, but I think I figured this out after you know reading through the proposal and, and talking with you and, and hearing some things about it. But I think it's worth clarifying. You mentioned before some people think you want to build a kitty jail. How long would be sort of a maximum time that a, a juvenile would be in secure detention at this new facility before he or she – it was determined that he or she needed to be sent someplace else? Well, at a minimum of 48 hours, depending on the severity of the circumstances in which the child entered the system um, and as long as um, um, 30 to 60 days depending on, on what's involved in the case. That, that figure is a little bit nebulous because quite frankly, <clears throat> there are facilities that are more comprehensive than the one we're proposing which would entail much more costs that provide more services that I'm suggesting. And our, those children are located in what we've referred to as secure detention for as long as 30 to 60 days. Um, but they're also being provided additional services, which we're not proposing in our proposal. So uh, in the purest sense, the secure detention center would probably be less than that. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to be honest and sure. candid and fair about it. We have children that are in secure detention longer than that, mm-hmm. but they're providing other services. Right. Um, the kind of services that I've described for the, the girls, quite frankly, uh, is available for, for boys. And, and, and they have comprehensive services that they can move these children in that continuum of care into secure detention if, when necessary or give them lesser, a lesser restricted environment mm-hmm. and eventually move them to work work release and, and jobs and that sort of thing. Okay. We have a phone call and we have an email and Mary Catherine has a question. So we've got a lot of things to talk about here <laughs> in the next 15 minutes or so. Let's go to Denny on the phone. Denny? Hi. Hey, Denny. Denny Morrison. I, I, thought, I thought that might be you. Yeah. <laughs> um, good afternoon. Thanks for t- addressing this. Sure. Um, there are a couple of things that, that I wanted to ex- expand upon on what the judge said that, that especially related to the cost. One of the things that occurs when you send uh, these kids off to another community, uh, aside from the inconvenience of their parents not being able to participate and the, the clinical effects of that, that they don't, the kids don't get as much, that they're not, the whole family's not being treated. There's, there's also a problem that the kids are, are kept in a higher level of, a, of security than they actually need because there is no step-down facilities locally available to them in that community. And so by bringing the kids back here, one of the things that we believe this, this virtual continuum will do for us is that we can move kids up and down that continuum much more readily and provide the levels of care they need um, more cost-effectively. But if they're, in, if they're say, that they're in Kokomo, if the kid could step down but, they, but there is no facility readily available that can handle them, they will always opt to keep them at the higher level of security, which is usually more expensive. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, one of the kind of the, another one of those hidden uh, cost offsets that, that's likely to occur. Um, the other thing that, that the judge mentioned, which I wanted to make sure people knew about, is one of the, I think one of the reasons that this, is, this thing has not been successful before has been that we tried to do something that would take care of every conceivable problem. And as most people know, that, that you know, twenty percent of your costs come from, or eighty percent of your costs comes from twenty percent of the kids, and those are usually those more acute kids. When we ratcheted that back down and said, what could we do for eighty percent of these kids? The costs start getting back in; they're, they're back in the realm of possibility. But I can't remember, Judge. You might remember what what, what the the Husky report was in terms of millions of dollars that was projected. Well, I have that here. I have Funny to turn and find to it, but. Um it, it, I haven't really been using those figures because, quite frankly, all of these studies are out of date. They're, they become so old and out of date that all they do is confuse um, the discussion, although I can definitely find those. Well, the, the point is that, it, the, the, that whatever those numbers were, they were far higher than this 1.1 or 1.4 million that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Some um, of them definitely were. And, and so – yeah, and that's partly because if you try to do something for everybody, it really becomes pretty tough. But um, here what we got is, a, is a, what, what I've referred to as a virtual continuum of CBH Meadows and uh, the youth shelter, which provides kind of an up-and-down continuum these kids can move amongst those areas depending on what, what the levels of need are. Mm-hmm. Judge, you want to respond to what Denny said? Well, first of all, I want to comment that uh, Denny Morrison, as uh, the executive of our local Center for Behavioral Health, is one of those persons who's contributed most 
to this new paradigm that we've tried to suggest, namely uh, utilizing existing community resources to, in order to save not only building costs but uh, most importantly ongoing annual staffing costs because we have that expertise right in our community and we should take advantage of it. Um, and he's, he's pointed out um, important aspects of the proposal, which is that uh, we have that ability to move a child up and down as much as possible regarding those steps that uh, we can reasonably provide, which he kind of referenced as, as probably 80 percent of the, of the cases, and leave that specialized 20 percent to a more specialized treatment that, quite frankly, is available out of county. Um, one of those, one of those areas, just we, we've used as an example, is as the problem of fire starters, and there's not, there may not be a lot of those, but the, the ones that are that the kids who who have that as the problem, they really need a specialized kind of facility. You don't want to build a facility that would accommodate one of those a year or two of those a year because it would be inordinately expensive to do so. Yeah. Right. Um, all right, Denny, we'll, I, we'll try to get that number for you, but j- the judge has a very thick notebook over here he's looking through. so <laughs> It's tabbed and everything. He's it's got a lot, of inf- lot of information. But I really appreciate your listening to the program and calling in and contributing. Thank Great. you Good very call, much. Denny. Thank you. All right, Denny, thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Okay, I'll go to the email that just came in. It's got three points. Number one is... As an accountant and amateur statistician, I am unsure why a topic so long discussed has such a lack of information on the total costs to the county of this problem for handling and and transporting juveniles. I'm going to let you take these one at a time, Judge. All right. Oh, okay. And that's the first one. That's the first one. Run that by me one more time. All righty. He wants to know uh, why there's such a lack of information on the total cost to the county of this problem for the handling and transporting of juveniles, why you don't have hard numbers for that. Well, it's kind of a general and philosophical answer that I'm not sure will make everyone happy. But uh, my honest, candid belief is, is this. Government is not as efficient as the private sector. Government does not have available to it uh, as many resources as uh, as is important when the motive is profit rather than providing services. Uh, I don't expect everybody to agree with me with this philosophy, but I, I think what happens is is the basic government functions get uh, funded, and some of those extra uh, services are just not available. And I'm here to say. And I believe my colleagues on the bench would uh, concur, particularly regarding the overcrowded adult jail, that Monroe County government has just does not have the uh, adequate software to address on an ongoing basis the information we need to provide to answer that very question. I think that's a very fair, legitimate question, and I'm quite frankly embarrassed that I, I can't produce that. I, I could produce it if I had nothing else to do than go, except go to court and, and try and address uh, decisions. But quite frankly, we all have uh, other full-time jobs to do and, and yes, this is part of it and I think that's a legitimate question. Um, but I haven't really generated as many of those detailed figures at this point of the process because unless Monroe County is willing to um, uh, undertake a tax increase to address a need that I think there is widespread community support for, there's really no reason to generate those figures and all the extra time and trouble that it would take mm-hmm. to do that away from my ongoing duties and, and we don't have the staff to do it. So quite frankly, we're in the process of, of trying to improve those uh, those resources. Uh, we have representatives from Texas in Monroe County today from a company called uh, Tyler who uh, we are uh, trying to act as the prototype for the Indiana Supreme Court on a new computer system. And uh, they've been here the last three days. We met with them about a month ago in Indianapolis. And uh, we're hoping to get some of those services for free, uh, which they have provided to other states and provided that very kind of information. But uh, the bottom line is we just – we don't have those 
resources available at the moment. Okay, here's number two. Do we really, and I'm going to read this as written, do we really have, in fact, a short-term secure detention problem? And if we were to solve that problem, then judges and law enforcement officers and probation officers would not have to be called out in the middle of the night. The juveniles could be transported during business hours. So I guess he... Do we really have a... What was the wording of the... Uh, do we, in fact... Uh, do we really have, in fact, a short-term secure detention problem? Well, we do keep statistics and we monitor our bills to make sure we don't pay money that's not due to these out-of-county facilities. And on average, we have seven to nine juveniles in secure detention at any given time. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe some people's definition of whether or not that's a problem or not would, would differ I think it is a problem, and for the reasons we've spent 45 minutes talking about, quite frankly, I, th- I think if we had a local secure detention center, we'd have many more than seven to nine. How many? I, I can't exactly say, but I think there would be more for the reasons that we've described. Okay, and then his third point is, from the data you present, the contracting out to other counties of this problem looks to be more cost-efficient. The difference of 300000 versus $1.4 million would be the deciding factor alone before anything else for me. Too much resources requ- resource required, but I could still be convinced. So, well, you hear that a lot? I am... No, I think that's a very I think that's a very rational, reasonable point of view, and uh, I think, quite frankly, uh, those of us involved in the criminal justice system are dealing with human beings, and if human beings, if we could predict behavior, we could reduce costs significantly. But quite frankly, uh, human behavior is very difficult to predict, and we can assign a dollar value. But uh, human beings are worth more than just dollars and uh, we're trying to address uh, opportunities for Monroe County's most needy children and families that that uh, need services and uh, quite frankly, we believe those children deserve the same opportunities that those of us who haven't undertaken those kinds of problems have in terms of living a fully productive life, life staying out of the adult jail system. And uh, and I don't think there is a dollar figure you can place on that. I, I'll tell you this. Uh, the kinds of problems we're talking about can happen to, to families that are are well off or, they can, or they're very poor. Uh, and, the, and the results are the same. I, that's a common view and I think – I don't criticize it. I certainly don't belittle it. Uh, cost is certainly one evaluator of what we should do until it happens in your family. And then when it's your child that's in the system that you care deeply about and you're worried about. That's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. I have a quick question, I I think, and then I know Mary Catherine has a question or two she wants to go to. Um, Is this – do you believe this would be the beginning of moving other court services and possibly the, the overcrowded jail to that location on the south side of town? Well, there's definitely concern in the community about that in some segments, although I think it's a little uh, exaggerated. Um, the 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 goal that I have in in addressing this problem is a juvenile facility. The problem is is that given our form of government, I don't have the power and authority to dictate. This is what Monroe County government is going to do. That power is dispersed over a, a wide variety of sources. The county council doesn't have that authority. They have the authority to approve a, f- a budget. The commissioners don't have that authority, although they have the authority, the executive authority in county government to make a decision, do we buy a piece of property or not, but mm-hmm. they can't pay for it. The Monroe County judges don't have that authority, although we decide which children are in the system and which aren't. So the goal, my goal, is to provide the leadership to this community to, to build a consensus. And that involves different things to different groups. And some groups feel strongly about the jail and whether it's overcrowded or whether it's not. Um, and in order to gain support, uh, different groups have different interests. And one of those interests is you've got this 85-acre piece of property that's already been paid for, was purchased for this purpose. Why don't you do something with it? And so I'm proposing that. And others in the community say, if we have an overcrowded jail, do we have a – does Monroe County government have a long-range plan? And I – quite frankly, we talk about long-range things, but I, I've never seen a long-range plan. And I'm not saying this is the long-range plan, but I've tried to design this proposal in seeking common ground that would not 
make decisions regarding the juvenile facility, which I'm limiting our proposal to, that would adversely affect other segments of the government. And one of those is, uh, would what, will eventually we need a new jail? I, I think the answer to that is an obvious yes. The question is, when will we need a new jail? Will we need it soon? Hopefully not. Hopefully for not a long time. And I think this proposal lengthens the time that we can uh, use our jail because there could be – there's been another project on discussion, which is a community correction center. There's space there to do that, which would lengthen the time we use our jail. But eventually – we're, we have 275 people in our jail today. For a jail that was built for 125, we double bunked it and got approved to 194. Sooner or later, somebody's going to sue Monroe County, and some federal judge is going to come down here and tell us what we're going to do. Instead of, at which time we lose control over uh, our own decision making. So, mm-hmm. this proposal does not address a new jail. It does. It ought not to entail those concerns, but it's built. But it admittedly is built in such a way that. There's other space on that acreage. If our elected officials would choose to build a new jail soon or decades from now, it would not be precluded by this proposal. Okay, We have about two minutes to go. Uh, This is a fascinating email. It's actually come in from Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil. Uh, It begins, uh, as a former resident of Bloomington, listening to WFIU is one of the ways to keep in touch with this wonderful town thanks to the Internet. I'm an attorney, and right now I'm listening to this interesting debate regarding juvenile facilities. I would like to inform that currently there is a big debate going on in Brazil regarding juvenile criminality that is rising exponentially. A six-year-old boy was dragged for several miles through Rio de Janeiro streets with his blood fingers and pieces of brain splattered on the asphalt two weeks ago. This brutal crime was committed by juveniles with the ages around 16 years old. These young people cannot go to the jail because they are under 18 years old, according to the Brazilian Penal Code. They go to juvenile facilities in which they become even worse. And we don't always give our email names, but uh, I want to thank Eduardo Oliveira for uh, writing to us and listening from so far away. That's a common concern, and quite frankly, those families, when their child is suddenly taken to secure detention and it's outside of Monroe County, they don't know where that is. Uh, share that concern. Why is my child suddenly with a bunch of juvenile delinquents in a place that I don't even know where that is? Hmm. However, <clears throat> I want uh, Eduardo to know, and I appreciate his call as well, as as well as other members of our community. I have personally visited the places where I send these children. I want to know the environment they're in, and I want to know how our taxpayer dollars are spent. And I've visited Jackson County, Bartholomew County, Johnson County, Marion County, Howard County, Allen County, St. Joe County, Porter County, Knox County, and others. And uh, we keep track of these kids and and we monitor and I can't tell you that something terrible will never happen, but we do our level best to keep track. And our goal is to build a facility that we manage, we control, and can keep an eye on so this kind of problem doesn't happen. We are out of time. Thank you, Judge David Welch. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.